Welcome to Asshat Analysts, the debate game show where the points definitely matter and we take things way too seriously. My name is Josh Johnson, and I'm joined here with my roommates, Nathaniel Jackson. Yo, yo, yo. And Kyle Jenis. Howdy. Stay tuned to find out who truly is the king of pulling random facts and arguments right out of their ass. Welcome to this Monday's episode. It's a parlay episode, and we are joined by special guest Asher Coker. Say hi. Hello. <laughs> Asher's yet another one of Kyle and I's uh, co-workers, uh, was one of my employees at one point. <laughs> but uh, Spicy. Yeah, spicy. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for this. Uh, Asher and I have had some pretty fun conversations about life and religion and all that fun stuff. So I, I'm excited for the conversations we have today. Um, so for this parlay episode, uh, this is a, a very intriguing topic. I'm very excited for it. Um, the topic is uh, what depiction of mental illness in film uh, has affected you the most? Uh, so you can say maybe this, this depiction terrifies me. I would never want to have that mental illness. Um, this is just uh, unnerving. You know, I'm uncomfortable when I watch this or... You know, it's I, I just am completely disturbed by this this story and this performance. Um, so, however you want to justify that, um, but yeah, I'm excited. Who wants to go first? Should I just go first? Yeah, Kyle, you should go first. <laughs> Asher, for context, I'm normally the one that goes first because Nate always looks at me because it's. It's I don't know why I'm left-handed too, and he's sitting to oh, my right. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say so to we, my right. <laughs> like, he just started doing it, and then it, we just never, we never changed yeah, it. We're just like, well, old habits die hard. Yep. But yeah, Kyle. Speaking of die hard, no, I did not pick die hard. <laughs> I picked Split from M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> you've said his every, last yeah, name different <laughs> every time you've said it. Well, I'm Shyamalan. not going to say Shyamalam. <laughs> well, you just did. I did. You're right. Sorry. Shyamalam-a-ding-dong. Okay, yeah. Okay. Um, just <laughs> go through the movie. Oh, we're just going to go all through one by one? Yeah. Okay. So the main focus of Split is a man named Kevin Crumb, played by James McAvoy. He suffers from dissociative identity disorder, which stems from um, trauma that he sustained from his abusive mother after his father abandoned the two of them. Um, That plays into the movie a little later. He has 23 main personalities that are kind of discussed or detailed in the movie with a secret 24th that eventually comes to light known only as the beast um basically this is a superhuman like physical being from i think that stems from his time working actually at the zoo i think they detail if you go through and analyze it but basically it's it's this like super powerful like superhuman identity just lying dormant inside of this body um, the dominant personality throughout most of the like for the most of the movie is one personality named Barry, who is more of the uh, charismatic, more like sociable, outgoing kind of person. Um, the the re- I think the, the reason they detail is like he's the one that kind of decides which personalities get their time of like time in the light or whatever. And two of his personalities, Dennis and Patricia are trying to fight for control of Kevin's body from Barry. Um, the only issue is Dennis shows... Um, what's How do they describe it? Dennis, unfortunately, has this... not. I don't know how to, the right words to use, but basically he bothers underage girls, basically. And in the movie, 
Dennis is the one that captures these three girls and takes them to this like underground lair and keeps them there for some rich. Well, it, they detail it later in the movie. And Patricia is one of the other like controlling condescending personalities or whatever. And the reason they want control of Kevin's body is because they want to bring forth the beast from inside Kevin. Hmm. Um, and throughout the movie, Kevin and his personalities have meetings with his therapist, Dr. Fletcher, I believe here's her name. And she asks questions to try and detail which personality she's talking to, figure out their habits and everything like that. And eventually she comes to realize that Dennis has actually taken control of Kevin because he's impersonating Barry. Um, and there's a, there's a moment actually where this meeting happens in like James McAvoy's portrayal of like that scene where it's like, you realize, Oh no, this is not good. The bad personality is taking control of Kevin's body and is potentially going to unleash this nasty, horrible creature or whatever it's like uh oh and that's really one thing that as as creepy as it is like McAvoy's portrayals of all of these personalities is like very very well done like it's amazing like how he can switch back and forth between all of them and everything like that like 23 different characters essentially to have to potentially have prepared and everything like that like that's a lot of work and i think McAvoy's portrayal of all the characters and everything was very well done like I went and saw this movie in theaters and it legitimately like creeped me out. It also creeped my date out too. So lovely sound experience. like a good date. Yeah, movie. <laughs> it was great. No, but, um, and eventually the, the beast does come forth. There's this whole scene where, um, Kevin's on this train Spoiler where, actually, alert. yeah, sorry. If you haven't seen this movie, go watch it. Um, it is good, but it is creepy, but Kevin is on this train actually where his father abandoned him, which ties. Yeah. Um, so he goes on this train and there's this whole scene where like, you know, he just like starts swelling up. Like he just, he like just gets jet. Like it's so bizarre. It's like just a super villain transformation that he undergoes. It's just like, he gets all these muscles. Like there's veins popping out of his chest and everything. And he comes back to the lair where he's keeping the girls and where Dr. Fletcher has actually come to try and save them. And he kills, Dr. Fletcher and two of the girls and actually just like eats them. Oof. Yeah. It's like feed the beast kind of thing. It's very, very just like, ugh. and the last girl whose name's Casey, um, he like the beast actually lets her live because he sees that she had marks from where she was abused by her uncle. And he's like, well, you are pure. Like basically the beast wants to destroy all of the impure or those who haven't suffered. And because he sees that Casey has, while unfortunately suffered, he's like, you understand, like, you know what it is to suffer, so I will let you live. And then he runs off, escapes, and basically all of his personalities become the horde and plot to destroy the impure at the end of the movie. Wild movie. Yeah, it's, yikes. When did it come out? 2016. Okay. I remember seeing it, but I yeah. don't remember. It was like fall of 2016. It was around Halloween. Yeah, I saw it when it like first came out. But yeah, I don't well, it much is. From it's it. like a sequel, or it's like a uh, it in is the same s- universe as yeah. what is it? Shattered, Un- Unbreakable, Unbreakable. It's the stealth That's sequel right. to Unbreakable because at the end of of Split, there is a scene in a diner where everyone's watching the news of the aftermath of this beast, and there's a there's a lady that's sitting at the like at the the bar or the counter of the of the diner and she's like this reminds me of something that happened about like 15 years ago meaning 
the train incident from Unbreakable. It's like this matches a pattern of this villain or whatever. And Bruce Willis, who actually plays his character David Dunn from Unbreakable, is like, it's Mr. Glass. And then it sets up the the next movie, Glass, which I think came out 2019. That sounds right. Yeah. And there, there's an unofficial name for the trilogy, but I don't remember it off the top of my head. But um, yeah, Split's pretty disturbing. Yeah. It's, it, it's kind of people with superhuman powers, right? Walking um, among us a little bit. But it's not like superhero movies. Yeah. Right? No. Well, not necessarily. Okay. My understanding of it was is that like you know it's like the whole thing of like we only use ten percent of our brain or whatever. Mm. If there's if we're able to tap into more of that, then your body could do mm. more. Like the control that the mind has over the body. So if the mind is pushed far enough, then you can get to a point where you know your skin is impenetrable. And right. Yeah. Like things actually, like Doctor Fletcher in one scene is like getting like the beast is basically kind of like crushing like crushing her from behind and she's trying to like stab his arm or whatever and the knife's just breaking on his arm like their shards are falling off and she's like oh no yeah it's um yikes yeah it's pretty it's now and obviously this is a very extreme depiction of this mental illness like there have been studies done where it's like the like the vast majority of people that suffer from this are very rarely if ever violent and if they are they're more likely to harm themselves than other people. Um, there was a study done through the International Society for Study of Trauma and Dissociation, where they surveyed a couple hundred patients with dissociative identity disorder, and the statistics were only 3% of them were charged with an offense, 1.8% were fined, and then less than 1% spent any time in jail over the six-month study. So, like, very little of these uh, patients or subjects for the study like actually committed any sort of, like they said, offenses or findable things like that. Like the majority of the patients were very like, they described them as like high functioning, just like mm -hmm. they seem, you know, just more normal-ish. Like you can't really tell on the outside. Obviously right. there might be certain, I don't know a whole lot about it. Obviously there might be certain habits or signs or anything, but, they're like, no, most of these people are just normal people that just have to work through this. Yeah. Well, I think I was telling you all yesterday, maybe, that uh, there's a TikTok account where this guy has a dissociative identity disorder mm -hmm. and his wife will film him and he goes through like nine different personalities that all have their different like tastes. And I mean, they're, they're even eating food and it's like, this one's Asher. One of them's named Asher, which creeped me out. And it was like, <laughs> he, that guy was eating a blueberry and he was like, Oh, this is disgusting. But then it switched to like another personality. And she was like, Oh, I love blueberries. This is my favorite. Mm -hmm. hmm. It's wild, man. It's like, is the mind like, is the mind housing like 23 different souls or yeah. something? Hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. Interesting well, stuff. and I mean, then it comes down to what is the soul and right. Yeah, what it's right defines here. a person. But <laughs> he let the record show he pointed to his foot. Visual gag. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it, this is definitely a very kind of creepy movie. Mm -hmm. um, if you haven't seen it, just be warned. <laughs> it will make you uncomfortable. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's not a happy movie by any means. Yeah. I know personally for me, uh, it has been a while since I saw it, but 
I don't think it made me uncomfortable for the split personality side of it. I think just in general, the movie itself was uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I think some of the like uh, extraordinary or the the super, you know, kind of aspects to it that aren't realistic in real life takes me out of a mindset of this is possible, so I can't be faced by some of those things. And that's just kind of that's how my brain kind of categorizes films. If I watch, you know, a superhero movie and there's a mental, you know, illness depiction in it, I won't pick up on it as much the first time I watch it because superpowers and everything's distracting, Mm -hmm. you know. So watching this, like, yes, it definitely has that aspect to it, but because they take it to such an extreme, I'm almost not bothered by the depiction of mental illness as much as I am just the, the some overall of the, some of, yeah the overall events of the movie. I mean that does make sense. So, but that's yeah that's just me and a, that's a personal thing with me. Um, but it again it is a pretty yeah. fun movie to watch. But um, yeah, who wants to go next? I'll go next. All Anyone right. else? You I'll it. go next. Okay. Thanks I picked for volunteering. A, yeah, so I, <laughs> I I went in a very different route. Um, so I I picked a movie. It's called Ordinary People. Uh, and it came out in 1980. Um, the reason I picked this movie, um, so it the title kind of lends itself to my whole reasoning uh, on why this movie kind of affected me. Um, it's entitled Ordinary People because the whole idea of the movie is there's this normal family that you wouldn't think nothing of that a traumatic event happens to. Um, basically, it's a father and wife, and then two sons. And early in the movie, um, one of the brothers dies in a sailing accident while the other one survives. And so the the brother that survives goes through um, depression and thoughts of suicide and actually com- tries to commit suicide at one point. Um, and his mother is kind of almost in this blaming situation of blaming the son that survived um, she never like audibly says it, but she treats him a little differently. And it's kind of expressed throughout the movie that she treated the son that died with an extra layer of love, um, comparative to the son that survived anyway. So it was really hard on her. Um, and then the father is kind of like trying to understand what's happening, trying to move through these things and navigate. Um, and, Throughout the movie, the son, you know, he, he spends time in the hospital. The mom never visits him. It bothers him a lot. Um, later on, he starts seeing counseling again after he gets out of the hospital. And uh, he's able to work through some things. And, and he has already felt like his mom doesn't care about him. Um, and then eventually kind of comes to the conclusion that, you know, there's nothing much he can do about that. Uh, and the father then goes to the same counselor that the son's going to kind of to confront him. And he actually says, I'm here to help shed a light on my son's situation, but that's not why he went. And throughout the counseling session finds out that he's there because he needs it. Um, And he starts to talk to the counselor and realizes that he is no longer in love with his wife because of the way, because she doesn't seem to have love for anyone else. Um, except for the son that passed away. And so I think this movie is like a realistic, a very realistic depiction of mm-hmm. depression and, and 
blame and all that stuff and uh the whole idea that it can happen to anyone at you know just one event mm-hmm. can spur something like this off is made me really uncomfortable and it made me very emotional while watching the movie for the first time well i mean i have i have a number of friends who have dealt with stuff like that where they've had friends who unfortunately you know take their own lives and everything like that it's it's hard on a lot of people a lot more people than most would expect like yeah. it's it's not easy like even like even i had to go through that uh, five years ago when one of my old friends same thing i was like i was like oh my god like what it just everything just changes in that moment that you find out and you're you're now thrust in this situation where you have to work through it and check in on everyone else be like you know hey you know are you doing just making sure you're doing okay let me know what i can do it's just it it completely changes like the next the immediate like several next several weeks of your life and for especially like family members like it completely changes their whole life after that it's uh, just before after almost yeah and it introduces a lot of questions you know, when a tragedy like this happens, there's so many questions that you start asking. What could I have done to to prevent this? What, you know, yep. uh, who can I blame for this? Because, uh, you know, your emotions say, hey, I need to blame someone. Um, and the most immediate reaction when there really isn't anyone to blame is to blame yourself. Um, and that it, it goes through that and talks about, you know, hey, this wasn't your fault. There's a scene... Um, where the brother that survived goes into the counselor's office and he's, it was actually, it it was a powerful scene. Um, He's angry and he's yelling and he's saying, it's my fault. You know, I, someone needs to be blamed. And the counselor's like, who, who, what did you do? You know, what's, what's going on? He said, I, I was holding his hand. I just, I, he said not to let go and, but he let go and he like loses it. And the counselor at, at one point kind of realizes he's reliving mm-hmm. the whole event um, and starts to play along and then starts to say, Hey, I don't blame you. It's not your fault. Um, super emotional scene. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think that it's just scary. Uh, an event and a story like that, it happens to so many people mm-hmm. and it can happen to anyone at any point. And so that part of it is why it's just utterly terrifying well and that's yeah i think that's probably what lends to that kind of fear of it is the fact that you don't know when it's going to happen like it's it's an unexpected you know you, you don't expect somebody close to you um like that to die i mean there are times where like you know you know that they're kind of on their way out yeah they're um, sick or having to but it, something like that yeah. yeah um but a lot of times you, you don't expect it and it is yep. just all of a sudden and you wake up one morning and your life is different yeah. and somebody's just not there. Yeah. So, and in this example, you know, it is sudden and it's unexpected, but if, even if you think about it, like the, the way that this movie depicts the depression that the family goes through, um, especially the brother that survived, um, that is depression that can come from really any source at any time. Um, and it doesn't always take a traumatic event like this to trigger that, um, which is also a scary thing to realize. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
Well, so the movie that I picked um, was Requiem for a Dream. Uh, it's a 2000 uh, Aronofsky film um, that there's kind of four main characters. Um, they're a part of kind of an ensemble. And uh, each one of them uh, suffers from uh, substance use disorder or addiction. Um, and so for most of them, it is just a heroin addiction. Um, but the the mother... Sarah, um, she ends up, her, her dream is to be on TV. And so she finally wins this, you know, call in contest and she gets this opportunity to come on TV to get the, you know, cruise or whatever it is that she's going to get to go on. And so she has this like image in her mind of wanting to wear a red dress, um, that, you know, she had since she was younger and she needs to lose weight in order to do that. So she tries to, you know, not eat, um, but she's addicted to sugar. And so in order to beat that, uh, she starts taking these diet pills, which are basically just prescription speed. Um, and so then she ends up going basically insane because of them. Um, uh, she does lose the weight and she does get into the dress, but she loses significantly more weight than she needed to and not in a healthy way. Um, but the whole film basically is, it shows the four people um, that, you know, have the, it sets them up to like have these dreams and um, want to kind of pursue those dreams, but they're kind of a long way off. And the, the way that they go about trying to get there faster is through these substances and things like that. And then um, because of the addiction, they end up losing any chance they possibly had of attaining those dreams and it it's just it it's crazy how quickly something can kind of snowball and you can so rapidly just get over your head and to a point of no return to where you know i mean there are there are a lot of stories uh, of people that have gone through um you know substance abuse and things like that and come out the other side and are able to have you know highly functional lives and um you know, obtain dreams and things like that. But this is not one of those stories. Right. Um, it, it very much is a, okay, you have hit rock bottom and there is no way back up. Um, and so it's just seeing the kind of like addictive tendencies that I have in, in my life, um, not necessarily, you know, illegal substance abuse, um, but it, it's crazy to think how quickly um, one thing can lead to another and another and another and just all of a sudden you're down this rabbit hole and you don't even know how you got there. Mm. So, and I think the film itself just does a brilliant job portraying how terrifying and, and deep um, some of those experiences can be. I've seen that movie one time and that's the only time I plan on ever watching it. <laughs> yeah. It honestly, it is a beautiful film. The yeah. way that yeah, like yeah. The, the screenplay of it is, is wonderful. The sound, uh, um, the score is amazing. That's the word for it. Score um, yeah. is amazing. <laughs> um, and I mean, even the, the title of it. So, because um, it, like I said, it's it's all about, you know, these dreams and wanting to pursue those dreams and then slowly seeing the death of those dreams. And so that's what a requiem is. It's a, you know, sad song that's played at a funeral. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it just all speaks to that. 
but I haven't seen it. So you, yeah, I, I tried not to give away too many details because I really do. Yes. I'm adding that to the list of things that we're watching because okay. it is the score alone, Nathaniel. I know you would absolutely love that yeah, film, probably. Well, I won't give anything away about it, knowing that you all haven't seen it. But the third act of that movie, oh my gosh. still haunts me. And that day, like I watched it by myself, which was a oh, terrible God. idea, <laughs> it was an awful idea. And it was like rainy and dreary already. But I was like, yeah, I've heard this is a really good movie, so I'll I'll watch it today. And that wasn't the best choice. I was about to say, you finished the movie and you're like, man. I was like, what am I'm I going to do? I really was. I was like, what am I going to do with the yeah. rest of my day? Yeah, I just, just, I just need to go for a walk. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I need to go outside. Have to be productive. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, funny story, real quick. Um, I went and saw the Joker movie uh, with Joaquin Phoenix with oh, my yeah. parents. Um, that was a terrible idea <laughs> because we left the theater and my mom's like, it's the same thing. It's like, wow. I feel real. I just like she felt. She's like I feel depressed. I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, so I, I regret. That. I almost went with that. Um, yeah, because that is probably the only movie I've ever seen where I came out of that theater and went. I recognize that that's a phenomenal film, but I never want to watch it again. Right. Yeah. It, right. It legit was like it's on. Un, it's unnerving. It's just like, no. like, yeah. It's it's very well told and everything like that. Like it's a very well made movie, but. Yikes! It is that is not a happy movie either. No, yeah. that's that's exactly how um, Requiem for a Dream is. It's like one of those. Uh, it's like it's like a car crash. Like you don't want to look at it, but you can't help but look away. And it's just that for an hour and forty five minutes. Yeah, um, it's like one of those times where someone tells you like not to go watch this video. Like you don't want to know what happens. And that's you how do it anyway. do anyway. Yeah. yeah, that's how the third act was. It was like I wish I didn't know. Yeah. yeah, I was like, "Could we just stop at an hour?" <laughs> right. Just like, no more, no more. I know it gets bad. Um, it's my turn, isn't it? It, it is. Yeah. All right. Dun, so dun, my dun. pick is Shutter Island. And who ha- who has seen it? You've I. Seen it. You haven't seen it. Mm-mm, I yeah. technically saw it in middle school, but wasn't watching it. Gosh, you are so young. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's. Um, should I not give away spoilers then? Uh, uh, no. I mean, realistically, the movie has been out. What year did it come out? It came out in like 2010. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was like, I think you're fine to give yeah, away spoilers yeah, if fine. you want to. I'll go well, watch it either way. The so. scariest part yeah. of it is kind of the spoiled bit at the end, anyway. Yep. So he was yeah. dead the whole time. He was dead the whole time. <laughs> Bruce Willis. All right, let's wrap yeah, this M. up. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, funny story about the Sixth Sense. My cousin, the first time I ever watched it, said to everyone in the room, "Oh, he's dead already." Like the he good, had, the good had he seen is, it or he had seen it or at least knew okay, that yeah, it he, happened already. Okay. But thankfully, like half of us didn't really know who or what he was talking about. So it was still good. Okay. But yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so Shutter Island, uh, Leo DiCaprio is a patient basically in an insane asylum, like on this island. And Mark Ruffalo is um, the person who's supposed to go and like talk to him, interview him, like, be his doctor essentially um so throughout like they they kind of go on a lot of experiences together and basically i don't know this is kind of hard to describe like unless you know what happens at the end so i'll get to that in a second but they're they're kind of they seem like partners basically throughout the whole movie and they're trying to investigate what is going on on this island like there's some stuff that's just not right so there are other prisoners there and people who are like they shouldn't be there and things like that so 
it comes to comes toward the end of the movie and like you see um you see this one lady who claims that she had been a doctor there at some point and they find her just on like the side of a cliff like living in a cave oh i remember basically. i remember yeah 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 and she's like yeah basically the uh the establishment there the asylum the people there like turned on her and said that because she wanted to go public with it or something. And they said, no, she's making all this up. She's crazy. Like, she's a patient now. So you kind of get that in the middle of the movie. And then by the end of it, you you basically learn that Mark Ruffalo has been Leo's doctor the whole time. And it's really unclear what of the experiences truly happened and what were kind of, like, blown out of proportion in his head. And um, I guess I won't spoil like the reason he was there in the first place. So he's actually like at an asylum is just really dark and not worth talking about right now. Requiem for a dream style. But anyway. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe worse. It it's, might it's not actually a, be it's worse. Not okay, a I'm really intrigued to watch this movie. Yeah. yeah it's, um, it's really like. Ugh. Yeah. It'll be worth it for that reveal. At yeah. least I guess. But it's dark. It's so dark. Um so you learn it by the end of the movie that Ruffalo has been DiCaprio's doctor this whole time. Um, and he says a line at the end. I didn't look it up. I'm not going to like uh, spoil that or anything, but um, they're going to lobotomize him essentially. But then at the end, you see this spark of Leo's character realizing that he is in the asylum. So you're kind of left with this question of like, does he really know or did he just have a moment of clarity and now he's about to be lobotomized or would he just relapse into his whole, you know, crazy. I, I remember crazy that thing. they like sit yeah. on the stairs of one of the buildings yeah. or whatever, and they have a little conversation and right. Mark Ruffle asks him a question expecting a response, but then gets the same response that Leo's been telling him the whole time. And they're like, yeah. All right. But whatever he Send said right whatever he had said right before that kind of I don't know, led him to believe like, okay, maybe he actually is sane and he's kind of gotten through this. Right. So so it's possible that he was just telling Ruffalo like what he would normally say or what he wanted to hear to signify that he's still this like crazy patient in an asylum so that he can just go ahead and end his life. So huh. so the reason I picked that movie as like most terrifying uh, film depiction of mental illness is because how would you know? Like, how do I know that you're not my doctors right now? So I, I watched it two times and the second time that realization kind of hit me like, oh, what if everybody knows I'm crazy, but they're not telling me or they're trying to tell me and I'm just like stuck in my head for the rest of my life. Yeah. So to be in that situation and not even like know yourself. Yeah, exactly. You're just like, uh, you know, you're living your life thinking everything's normal and everyone's looking at you like you're broken. Yeah. It's a different yeah. form of dissociation. Yes. Like from like versus split, but it's the same kind of thing where it's like, you don't know who you really are. Yeah. Mm. Well, and I mean, so that the, the people in my life that I have known that have suffered from Alzheimer's, it, it's kind of that same way of like, being able to tell what is in your mind and what is in the real world. Yeah. And it like that is just terrifying because, yeah. you know, it just goes away eventually. Right. Like you can't really, you know, yeah. latch on to those. Yeah. Like you, you just kind of slowly thoughts. fade out of. Yeah. Um, but <sighs> it, God, I would not want that. <laughs> yeah. I would not want 
to have suffered with Alzheimer's. I've heard it's I've heard it's just yeah. like debilitating. It's not right. fun. Yeah. So that that one for me too was kind of a kind of a culmination of a few other movies and even a vid- a couple video games that I played that I'll just kind of list through real quick. Have you all heard of uh, Legend of Zelda: Link's Awakening by chance? I've heard uh, of it. I've never played. It was yeah, like the I haven't f- played it. The first Game Boy oh, game, like way back in the late '80s, early '90s. So you play through the whole thing, and sorry, spoilers, but you realize at the end that you were like dreaming the whole time. So I played that as like a five or six year old kid. And, and you're like, like, huh? Oh, that's kind of cool. But also, huh? Yeah. yeah. And then saw the Truman Show later oh, in the wow. 90s. Oh, God, the Truman Show. The Truman Show. Oh, yeah, where Which he's... is incredible. Yeah. But I was also like, huh, maybe I'm on the Asher Show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then saw, uh, what was the, the other one? And then the Matrix, of course. Yeah. Like maybe oh, we're yeah. all in the simulation. So yeah. Shutter Island was kind of the culmination of like, those other three experiences mm-hmm. like oh shoot but on a much more psychological like, exactly oh yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The movie the movie makes you think like all throughout it's like every every single conversation is gravely important yeah know? yeah yeah well thinking something is like either uh, a dream mm-hmm. you know which is just not real for anyone and something only you experience versus you being on a tv show you know versus it being literally in your brain right you know that that would be that's terrifying yeah Yeah. well and i think it's also because those other ones are kind of like sci-fi you know fantasy kind of things where it is like very clear like okay this is like it the matrix is possible and we technically can't prove that it's not sure but it's also like okay well that's also it's just far-fetched enough whereas something like you know shutter island the way you just described it mm-hmm. is very like that is something that exists in this world yeah. well, they're all that, external that very well too. could happen right yeah they're all external like yeah uh, shutter island's not that's yeah. internal yeah. in his mind right so yeah the uh, mm-hmm. mm, no thanks yeah i like to think i'm normal <laughs> <laughs> i mean Try. don't we all yeah so did uh so did leo yeah oh Ooh, poor guy <laughs> Did he win an Oscar for that? No. No? No, he did not. (laughs) I I get it. He has won an Oscar now, though, right? He has. Yeah, it was for uh, Revenant. For the Revenant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which (laughs) is a good movie, but it's not even close to one of his best movies. Shutter Shutter Island, I think, was a better performance for Leo than Well, it was, but that was also... Was that the same year that Dark Knight came out? I don't know. All right, I just I just know that like really, if you look it at it, was. all of his best performances have also been matched up against somebody else that had another phenomenal performance. Yeah, and it's ended true. up he's winning. Legend. So it, yeah, he's just kind of consistently gotten shafted as far as when his movies came out. Yeah, right. But bad timing. Yeah. Mm. Anyways, phenomenal actor. Yes, he's great. He's awesome. But I'm also I'm kind of glad that I didn't watch that in middle school because I wouldn't have understood it fully. Yeah. Oh um, right, right. Which is I mean like Requiem for a Dream. Um, it's kind of that same way. I saw it for the first time when I was in fifth grade um, and then it's didn't old. really understand it. Yeah. I was just like, uh, okay, they're doing drugs. Yeah. Oh, that's scary. Okay. But then watched it again once I was in college and was like, oh, okay. Worse. You're uh, like, you're like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but it, it definitely is one of those, like you have to kind of pay attention to it and understand what's going on. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, hmm. Yep. So who won? Nobody wins. <laughs> well, so, right. No, so now we'll go around the table, and you can, um, if there's somebody that either changed your mind, or if you still think yeah. that yours is the most, uh, 
Okay, so it's changed your mind or made a good point. Yes. So, you know, I'll just go ahead and go first. I'm giving my point to Asher. So I still personally think that my movie, for me, would probably be a little more uncomfortable and that uh, has affected me the most. But Asher has painted a picture for this movie that really just the thought of it does kind of make me uncomfortable. So I I do think it would probably... Yeah, it's a close second for me, but I still, I think Ordinary People affects me more directly and is a little more impactful in my mind. But, yep. Okay, I'm going to give mine to Asher um, because it, (laughs) well, because it's kind of, it's the same kind of method of thinking as as what mine was with Working for a Dream. Mm. Um, But it just, it's, it's another kind of like psychological in that question of, well, how would you know? Because um, mm-hmm. at least with with Requiem for a Dream, you know, like okay, it's it's clear it's the drug use and it's these habits that they're forming that are leading to another thing. Whereas that one is, you know, he spends most of the movie not knowing what's going on at all. Um, so yeah, yep. True. I was gonna throw mine over to Requiem for a Dream though because <sighs> I <laughs> I know. <laughs> I like I kind of relived that day of watching it and just the stuff that happens at the end can't stress enough how terrible the third act is uh and and that one it's weird because like Shutter Island and and even ordinary people that would be a more personal yeah. kind of thing but with addiction and seeing it happen to other people is almost like harder in some ways cuz I know ha- I have my own like psychoses and things I'm dealing with and I'm like well that's in my head and I'm at least like here and dealing with it aware that it's a thing that you have to work through yeah but when I encounter people with like addictions and addictive behavior it's like it's just rough like how can I be there for you so yeah it's a good point I'm giving my point to Nate That was a per- a lot of it. It was a it's a personal thing, and I I do relate to it, and I've seen people go through it. It freaking sucks. Yeah, it is not fun, and having to watch a movie where that's a thing would be very just uncomfortable for me, as yeah. real as it is, and you know just yeah yeah. So cool. Well, uh, Kyle, you want to run us through points so far? Sure. This is the first episode of the month of December, so clean slate. Yes, indeed. So at the end of day one, the guests slash Asher are in the lead with two points. Nate and Josh are tied with one point, and I have a donut. <laughs> it's actually right here in front. No, I'm kidding. I have zero. <laughs> All right. Well, that was fun. Is it yeast or cake? Yeast. Ah, yes. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I like the cake donuts. I like the cake donuts, too. So Blueberry cake donut? <laughs> Blueberry cake donut. All right. Pumpkin cake donut. That just made me think of pumpkin pie, and then I thought of key lime pie, and I'm like, man, I want some key lime pie. Yes. I don't like key lime pie. It's my dad's favorite. but I'd be good with a glazed donut. Um, okay, <laughs> well, true. hey, so we're going to wrap that up, and uh, we will see you on Wednesday with our Bullshitter episode. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for today's episode. Be sure to join us on the next episode, where we will continue to debate as good friends do. Follow us on Instagram and YouTube, and stay up to date on all things asshat and to participate in polls and activities throughout the week based on the themes of the upcoming episodes. 
We also started a Patreon for those of you who are interested in showing your support in a more direct way. On our Patreon, we have a ton of bonus content, including tier lists, loser dinners, and bonus podcast episodes. We want to continue making content that makes you think, smile, and especially laugh. And the best way that you guys can help us do that, leave a like or a comment, download and share all these episodes with your friends and family members who you think would enjoy our tomfoolery, our shenanigans, and all those other crazy words that encapsulate our content.